And once you're back at your seats, you might like to take out your Bibles. Who's excited about that this morning? It's always a good thing to take out the Word of God, isn't it? And we're going to be heading... I need to tell you where we're heading. It's one thing to take it out. We need to open it up. So we're going to be heading to uh, 1 Chronicles 29. That's where we're going to be starting this morning. It's to lay the foundation of what I feel that the Lord has put on my heart to share today. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning with reverence, with gratitude in our hearts, with a desire, Lord, not just to hear another sermon, but to hear what you might be saying to us today, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that your word never returns to you void, but will accomplish the purpose that you have for it, God. So let your word go forth this morning, accomplish its purpose in our hearts and lives, I pray. As your people, Lord, we don't just want to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, Lord God. So challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord. But we want to meet with you and encounter you in the pages of your your word today. Come and have your way. Breathe life into the words that I speak, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we'll be in 1 Chronicles 29. Is there anybody still in mourning over last Sunday night's game? A disappointing result, no. <laughs> it's all good. Those things happen, hey. It's one of those things that we watched it uh, as a special treat. Our eldest son uh, was able to stay up and watch the game, given it was the final. And, and uh, it's kind of one of those good character lessons, I think. <laughs> he was very upset when the, the game was lost, but it was a good opportunity to... Just, it's going to be okay, you know. It's going to be okay. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10. And really this is just kind of laying the foundation of of where I want to head this morning, what I feel the Lord's put on my heart. Let's read together. It says, Therefore, and I should just, before we jump into it, this is a, a moment in time where uh, they've just taken up uh, an offering for the temple to, to start work on the temple. David has over, overseen that, and the offerings come in, and he says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Wow, what an amazing passage that is. And in fact, some of the, the, the scholars, the Old Testament scholars, say that this is perhaps one of the, the grandest prayers recorded in the Old Testament, if not all of Scripture. And you know, there are times, aren't there, where you read Scripture and something just will jump out at you or resonate with you. And I've got to admit, this particular passage has, has been one for me over the last couple of months or more. Just when I first read it 
um, a couple of months ago. I went back to reading it. It just jumped up. There was life on it, and it just really has stirred my heart to worship each and every time I read it. Each week I'm going back and going, oh, it's a reminder. Yours, Lord, is the greatness. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is all you've done. I worship you. You know, it's, it's too good just to kind of hide away there in the Old Testament. I think we need to be reading it out, singing it out perhaps, going back and back to this. But the passages like this that are going to stir our hearts towards the Lord. And so what I feel that the Lord has put on my heart this morning is a, is a particular theme or message that perhaps is one that we don't hear as often in this day and age or that's not as comfortable or warm and fuzzy as we might like still an important one, I believe. And what I felt him put on my heart is to speak about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. So hopefully you stay with me this morning. <laughs> so the fear of the Lord, we can hear that and I know that for, for some of us, or for many of us, that might mean different things based on our experiences or perhaps our view of God or our understanding of the word. You know, I want to make clear this morning that the fear of the Lord is not an unhealthy thing. It's not something that uh, produces the unhealthy fear or worry or anxiety in our hearts and lives. It's not something that causes us to draw away from God in fear, to cower away from Him. But rather, the fear of the Lord is a right and healthy thing, a healthy reverence in our hearts and lives before the Lord, a respect and an honor for Him that drives us to the Lord. It's like this, this connection with him that our hearts long for. The Fire Bible or the Fire Study Bible, one of the ones that I have, the commentary puts it this way. The fear of the Lord is more than just reverent awe and trust, although that's part of it. It includes a deep awe and sober awareness of God's holiness, his power and his judgment against sin. Fairly weighty words this morning. But I would say that it also includes this deep awe and reverence that, yes, his holiness, his, his judgment against sin, but he has made a way through Jesus. He has shown abundant mercy through the cross. That means that we can have life and freedom and life in his name. The fear of the Lord, or we could say, reverence and awe of him, I believe is vital for us to grasp and have operating in our lives as followers of Jesus. You know, all throughout scripture, the fear of the Lord is not just some obscure peripheral kind of message that we find in some of the Old Testament books or anything like that. It's actually something that we can see woven throughout the whole scripture, Old and New Testament. And you know, things tended to go well for God's people when the fear of the Lord was operating in the right and healthy way. In personal lives, in the lives of God's people, people of Israel. And on the contrary as well, things didn't work out so well when they forgot, or when the fear of the Lord was not operating or at work as it should have been in their lives. You know, we can read all throughout Kings and Chronicles and where it says, you know, again, the people of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you think, when will they learn their lesson? Again, what's happening there? Well, basically, I believe if we narrow it down, that means that the fear of the Lord, the honor and regard for God 
His ways, his word, was not operating as it should have been, which led them to forget or to turn away and abandon what God had said. And, you know, as we look at the, the fear of the Lord, there are so many aspects that we could focus on, such a broad area that we could look at. could be a new series even. Um, and so my aim this morning is not to look at the whole breadth of it, but, you know, we could look at how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as it says in, in Proverbs 1. Or in Proverbs 19, it says that the fear of the Lord leads to life. In, uh, the, uh, in Luke, sorry, Luke 1.50, it said, His mercy is for those who fear him. In Psalm 33, it, said his eye, it says his eye is on those who fear the Lord. Psalm 25, it tells us that for the person that fears the Lord, the Lord will instruct him in the way that he should go. And that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, for those who hold him in regard and reverence and awe. We could go on and on about all the the blessings that flow into our lives when we fear the Lord. But my heart this morning is not so much uh, that space, looking at all the, the benefits and blessings. And it's not one of fire and brimstone. I was telling my lovely wife this week, she's like, oh, what are you preaching on? I said, the fear of the Lord, that's what I feel. And she goes, oh, maybe a fire and brimstone message. And I said, no, 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 that's not my heart. My heart this morning is, is rather a recalibrating message where we would leave this place, this is my hope and prayer, that each of us would leave this place this morning more uh, mindful of him, with a greater desire to give the Lord his rightful place in our lives, and where our reverence and our awe of God is awakened and stirred afresh. So that's where I want to head today. And so there are a few things to encourage and remind us of this morning. But when talking about the fear of the Lord, there is a need for right revelation. Right revelation. As we live out our lives of faith, following Jesus, it's vital that we live with right revelation of who God truly is. A.W. Tozer has said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And part of the reason why I love David's prayer here in 1 Chronicles so much, I mean there's so much in there, isn't there, but it is brimming with right revelation of God the one who is great, the one who is majestic, the one who is victorious, the one who is our provider. And it goes on and on. It's elevating who he is. And in fact, we could read through much of Scripture, many of the heroes of the faith, wonderful men and women of God, had similar prayers or, or declarations of God that were recorded in Scripture. People who had the right view and perspective of who God is and lived with that sense of reverence and awe and submitting to his authority and his lordship. You know, let me just illustrate what I'm trying to get across this morning this way. Uh, being Canberrans, obviously we, we can look right out there and we see Telstra Tower. And pretty much from wherever you are in our city, you can see Telstra Tower. I was way up north side yesterday for a kid's party and there it was, there, just as it is and I can see it from my side of town as well. We drive around, we can see it, it's there. And uh, our two sons, they love looking out for it in the car when we're driving. Oh, look, Daddy, there's Telstra Tower. There it is, over there, I can see it. And about a year or so ago or so, I, I decided, I thought, oh, I think it'd be cool to take, take them to Telstra Tower to see it and to go up and have a look over Canberra. So off we went. We, 
we drove to Telstra Tower. And I'll never forget the reaction when we got out of the car and they saw it. And it was like, whoa, it's huge. And my oldest son said to me, Daddy, I had no idea that it was this big. I had no idea because they'd seen it. I don't know, they must have thought it was some little tower on the top of a hill that you could kind of minimize into something that you can put your, your finger on. But the reaction was, whoa, it's huge. And it is. For those who've been there, like even myself, it's, it's amazing as you get there and you stand right at the base of it, how big and tall it is. And if nothing else this morning, I'd love for each of us to have a fresh whoa, moment of our eyes being open to the greatness of our God. Our response of awe and reverence. I had no idea that you were this big, Lord, that you were this great. And, you know, I think it's troubling, obviously, when, when, when people uh, walk away from their faith or turn away from the Lord or decide it's not for them. Or... But what is, what is equally as, as troubling is is when we live with a, a skewed or an incorrect view or perspective of the Lord. Where we live as though he's the Telstra Tower we can see from all around town, where we've brought him down to this kind of level or size, rather than the, whoa, Lord, you are great. And you know, I include myself in this this morning as a flawed, imperfect human. We can have a view of God at times, um, an image of what we think he might be like or, um, you know, just this, this perspective of him that can actually not be right or true. Perhaps we think of him and it can range from somewhere along the lines where we think of God as our personal butler. You know, Come on, Lord, I need, I need something. All right, I'll call you when I next need you. Or all the way through the spectrum to you know, we see God as this cop in the sky waiting to whack us over the head when we mess up and everything in between. Or we can minimize or trivialize him into a God we can understand or explain or rationalize, all of which are distorted views of his nature. Because as we live our lives before the Lord, we need to understand that he is God, that he is God. He is Omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful and has all authority. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere at the same time. He is holy. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He provides, you know, I don't just think about this for a moment. The very air that we need to breathe to stay alive, without him, we wouldn't be here. We need it. He's the one who has given that to us and sustains us. Isaiah 55, it says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that's not just a little bit higher, you know. It says that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so much higher are your ways and your thoughts than ours. So that means that for us here today, no matter how smart or learned we are or we think we are, God knows best and he's got us well and truly covered. He is unrivaled. I love what it says in Psalm 2. There's this picture where it says, you know, why do the nations raise? They plot together. Basically, this picture of 
the enemy, the people trying to come against God, trying to undermine the Lord. And in Psalm 2.4, it says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Don't you love that picture? He just sits and laughs at the things that, you know, are said against him or when people try and undermine who he is. He is unrivaled. And I'm convinced that the more we think about God, the more we allow the revelation of his word to fill our hearts and our minds, the more we spend time in his presence, the more we realize that he is infinitely more holy, infinitely more righteous, more just, more majestic, more glorious than our hearts can conceive. Yet, he is infinitely more loving, more gracious, more merciful, more good, more faithful than we can conceive and fathom as well. This needs to be our revelation of him, the perspective from which we live. For when that is our revelation of the Lord, the place we live from, we live before him and come before him with that sense of fear and awe and reverence at who he is. Even just this week as I've been wrestling through this and preparing this message, on Friday afternoon I was just sitting there and just thinking about the greatness of our God, who he is. And I just, to be honest, I just found myself just breaking down in tears as I thought about the grandeur, grandeur and wonder of who he is, yet his mercy and his love and his care that would invite me in. Amazing. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, there needs to be that right revelation. But when talking about the fear of the Lord, there's often there's a need for recalibration as well in our hearts and our lives. David's prayer, and I love this, it's yours, 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 yours is the victory, yours is the honour, yours is, there's, very, there's not a mention of us or mine or me or I, is there? It's yours. There are many things that can seek to steal away our sense of awe or the fear of the Lord. And they may not, it's not like often we're not, you know, having no regard for God. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's just the little things that can creep in, I guess, and take away that sense of, oh, whoa, Lord. You're amazing. Could be familiarity, complacency, acclimatization. I've sung this before. I've read this before. You know, this winter at uh, our house, our heater died, decided it had come to the end of its days, and we had a, a wall, gas wall furnace that would heat pretty much all our house because it had a vent into one main area and a vent into the other. So we got to the start of winter and the heater just passed away and went on to, no. And uh, so we, we were without a heater in our home for um, about four or five weeks, I think, uh, through winter. It's okay, you know, testing of our faith and trials uh, produce character and all those things. But I don't know if my wife would say this, but... My experience was after a while, yes, it was cold, but after a while you just kind of got used to it. 
after a while, you know, you just put an extra layer on and uh, I didn't find it affected me as much because I knew it was going to be cold, so you just kind of get on with it, you know? I just expected it to be cold. I'm not sure, now Steph's shaking her head, yeah. <laughs> but after a while, I just got used to it. Could this be said of us in our walks with the Lord? where the majesty and wonder of God was once there and burning bright and strong. But life happens and perhaps it just just doesn't affect us as much anymore. Perhaps we just get used to things not being as hot and as, you know, that, that, that real sense of reverence and awe of God, of wonder at who he is. We just kind of get used to it and get on with life. And all of us, I'm sure, we we have that desire to fear the Lord and to give him his rightful place. But for all of us, we need to guard against it being undermined or um, that familiarity and that complacency coming in. Where is the awe of God, the reverence of him in our lives? Because if the Lord has his rightful place, everything else flows from that. When we're living with reverence for the Lord and when the fear of the Lord is operating in our lives in a right and healthy way, it will actually flow to every area of our lives. How we worship, how we treat people, how we respect authority, how we honour our spouses, how we honour our bosses at work, how we use our time, our attitude towards finances, who we are when no one else is looking, dealing with sin and those things that are a hindrance and a weight and that clings so closely. I remember a story, I think Andrew shared this uh, a while ago. A man, uh, John Bevere, uh, who's a well-known author and minister of the gospel preacher, he shared a story that one time he was in uh, Brazil at the big, big conference there and you know, thousands of people kind of thing. And he's there and the worship starts up and he says that the worship was amazing, you know, there was lots of people there, like it should have been just this amazing time in the Lord, but he just felt, there was a check, he just felt there was something not, not quite right. He's like, Lord, what is this? The worship's great, the going for it on the stage, like what's, there's something not right in the atmosphere here. And the Lord says, well, how about you just turn around and have a look? And so he has a look around. And people are just chatting away, kind of looking, you know, looking at the watches, scrolling on their phones. And the Lord says, I want you to get up and address, address that. There's no reverence or fear of the Lord operating here. So he gets up. And I think as the story goes, he basically, you know, in the middle, stops the worship and says, look, you know, you guys here, obviously you love your, your soccer, your football. Can you imagine if one of the soccer stars comes into this place right now, Neymar or Palais or whoever it is, imagine what the reaction would be. And everyone was, you know, there would be that sense of excitement and wonder and, oh, wow, look, it's, he's come into the building. And he's like, you know what? We're here in the presence of the King of Kings. How much more should we have that sense of reverence and wonder and fear of the Lord and not scrolling on our phones, not having conversations like this is, we're here before the Lord. 
And basically in that moment, the conviction of the Lord hit the people, as I understand the story goes. People repented, fell to their knees, and then the glory of the Lord came and the whole atmosphere shifted. But can you imagine the impact that that recalibration would have had, not just in that moment there, but in the lives of the people as they went out from there as well? Perhaps this morning there's a recalibration required. I read an interview with Matt Redman, a well-known worship leader and songwriter, recently, and one of the comments that stood out to me in terms of his perspective around leading worship was he tries to be mindful of letting the throne set the tone. Letting the throne set the tone. Can we just jump over to Revelation chapter 4 for a minute here? Let's see what happens around the throne. And it's a wonderful description of the throne in heaven. We've got the throne, the one who sat on the throne, his appearance, what happened, you know, the 24 thrones around the throne and the elders and the living creatures. In verse 8 of Revelation 4, it says, The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what happens around the throne? There's the revelation of God, obviously. But it's a picture here as the living creatures constantly, day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Let's be honest, there's no one there that's going to say, Really, we're singing holy, holy, holy again? It's holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And what happens? The elders, whenever that happens, they fall down before the Lord in reverence. They cast their crowns before the Lord, the crowns representing accomplishments, achievements, pride perhaps. It shows their reverence for God, acknowledgement that any honour, position or authority comes from him and belongs to him. And I kind of think if this is happening day and night, well, they're constantly (laughs) throwing them down and bowing down in worship before the Lord. Imagine if we captured afresh that sense of awe, that sense of reverence, that sense of his majesty. Here on a Sunday, yes, wonderful. You know, he's the guest of honor in our midst. We're not here to just have a service or go through the motions. He's the guest of honor. We're on his schedule. We want his agenda But more than just on a Sunday, more than just our corporate gatherings, although we desperately need that in our midst, what about in our homes? What about in our day-to-day lives? That heart posture comes from a heart posture of humility, of recognizing who our God is, of that that desire, that, that heart posture that says, Lord, have your rightful place in my life. Imagine if we recalibrated and captured that sense of awe and the fear of the Lord. 
what that would do. When talking about the fear of the Lord, finally this morning, there's always a holy invitation. There's right revelation, recalibration. There's always a holy invitation to respond. The fear of the Lord is not just an Old Testament concept, even though we see it clearly there. It's clear and evident all throughout the New Testament. In fact, Luke, in his Gospel and in the book of Acts, he references the fear of the Lord a number of different times. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he, he issues this call, this exhortation to conduct ourselves with fear or reverent awe while we're, while we're here on earth. The Apostle Paul writes about it as well a number of times. In Philippians 2.12, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's, in, it's interesting because that comes just, just after this wonderful passage about uh, Jesus, about how he emptied himself, he became nothing, but God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord, right? And it goes on to say, therefore, because of this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's almost like there's this link in light of who the Lord Jesus is and all that he has done for us. What other response do we have but to work out and live out our faith our salvation with this sense of reverence and awe and wonder. Perhaps it's more than an invitation. Perhaps it's a command in light of what the Lord has done. But you know, something significant happens when the fear of the Lord is at work in our lives personally, but in us as a people of God, as a community of believers. And it should be a mark of a community of believers. You know, it was a mark of the early church. It's no surprise that there was such power displayed. That there was such explosive growth in the church that they were described as the ones who had turned the world upside down because all throughout the book of Acts we see so clearly the fear of the Lord was operating. The fear of the Lord was at work. If you don't believe me, you can go and read through the book of Acts later. But for the sake of time, we won't look at all of the options. But can we just, just turn quickly to the book of Acts? There's just two verses that I want to uh, finish with this morning. Acts chapter 9, first of all. Acts 9.31 says that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Interesting link there, isn't there? Walking in the fear of the Lord, fear and comfort, fear and encouragement of the Spirit. It multiplied, it grew. Just keep that in mind. Then in Acts 2.43 it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, or fear, another translation says, came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Again, this, the evidence of reverence 
awe, the fear of the Lord, and signs and wonders being done. Something significant happens when the fear of the Lord is at work in our lives and in the lives of us as a church. And there's many other places throughout Acts as well where it's said. But this signs and wonders and the growth, encouragement of the Holy Spirit, that came because of the right revelation of God, the recalibration to ensure that the revelation was right and the response to his invitation. And then the Lord uh, worked in and through them in amazing, amazing ways. We live in a world where regard for the Lord is not exactly common. It's a reverent kind of culture that we live in. But let's be a people who go against that tide. Let's be a people who grab hold of, I guess, where we've read this morning, the greatness of God, the right perspective of him, the throne setting the tone in our own lives, but then grabbing hold of, okay, Lord, what are you saying for us as a community of believers when we have those, the right revelation, when we have that recalibration? Lord, we want to see, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, we want to see you move. We want to see you come in power. The invitation is this this morning, to come back to that place of reverence, to come back to that place of deep awe, to come back to that place of remembering who our God is and let that have an impact upon every part of our lives. I'll get the worship team to come up if I can at this point. Could we be a people, a community of believers who truly walk in the fear of the Lord? who truly walk in the fear of the Lord. I was thinking this week around the aspects of how we have right revelation and where needed recalibration and how we respond to the invitation of the Lord. But I was just reminded that as we read through Scripture that any encounter that people had in Scripture with the Lord, whether that was through a vision or a dream or the Lord's presence coming in a powerful way, the result of that was they were changed forever. They were marked. Their response, though, was always to fall down in worship, to be on their knees before the Lord, to be in a place of reverence. And you know, this morning, I realize I haven't given like the three-point plan for effective reverence in our lives. That's not where I felt to go. Because there's an aspect of it that only God can do. But I believe it does involve right revelation, recalibration where we need that. Humility it leads us to obedience and sacrifice. In Hebrews 10, 28 and 29 it says let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire I just want us to spend a moment 
as we finish our service this morning, we're going to finish just with a song of worship. But I, I want to encourage us that as we do that, to come before the Lord afresh with that fresh sense of wonder and awe and reverence. To not just sing the words on the screen, but to respond to the Lord, whether that's to kneel, whether that's to just, I don't know, focus your attention, lift your hands, whatever it might be. Let's not leave this place this morning the same. And uh, when we get to the end of the song, there'll be an opportunity to respond, to receive prayer, or to come and just do business with God. It might be that you've realized, oh, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe, it's just kind of grown a little bit cold or a little bit dim. What better morning than this morning to come and just do business with God. So uh, you might like to stand, you might like to kneel. I don't want to dictate what you can and can't do, but all I ask is that we just come before the Lord with that sense of awe and reverence. And let's just see what he wants to do. There's a, an invitation just to come forward and do business with the Lord if you need to. If you're longing for him to bring that right revelation or that recalibration, you're most welcome to come forward. You can kneel, you can receive prayer. there's people here this morning who have really been wrestling or struggling with something, with sin, I just uh, I feel to give an invitation this morning to come and do business with God, receive prayer. people who walk in the fear of the Lord. They would be a people who are in awe of you and who reverence you, God. God, I pray that you would have your rightful place in our hearts and lives, in this place, in this church, God. You would have your rightful place. Thank you that fear of the Lord does not drive us away from you, but draws us near to you, Lord God. And there's a sense of relief in a way that you are God and we are not, Lord. I pray for each and every one of us here that we would leave this place today more mindful of you, a deeper desire to see you have your rightful place and Lord having had a whoa God how big you are moment this morning may that go with us in the coming weeks and months I pray we thank you Lord for your presence in this place this morning as we go from here may we go 
faith, with grateful hearts. We pray that we would know you, encounter you in the day today, this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So feel free to hang around and stay in that place of worship if you'd like. Come forward and receive prayer if you, if you want to do that. I invite you to come forward now. The rest of you, God bless you this week. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you.